Chapter Thirty Four of Varney the Vampire. This is LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine. Varney the Vampire, Volume One, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Thirty Four. The Threat. Its Consequences, The Rescue, and Sir Francis Varney's Danger. Sir Francis Varney now paused again, and he seemed for a few moments to gloat over the helpless condition of her, whom he had so determined to make his victim. There was no look of pity in his face. No one touch of human kindness could be found in the whole expression of those diabolical features and if he delayed making the attempt to strike terror into the heart of that unhappy but beautiful being, it could not be from any relenting feeling, but simply that he wished for a few moments to indulge his imagination with the idea of perfecting his villainy more effectually. And they who would have flown to her rescue, they who for her would have chanced all accidents, aye, even life itself, were sleeping, and knew not of the loved one's danger. She was alone, and far enough from the house to be driven to that tottering verge where sanity ends, and the dream of madness with all its terrors commences. But still she slept, if that half-waking sleep could indeed be considered as anything akin to ordinary slumber. Still she slept, and called mournfully upon her lover's name, and in tender, beseeching accents that should have melted even the stubbornest hearts did she express her soul's conviction that he loved her still. The very repetition of the name of Charles Holland seemed to be galling to Sir Francis Varney. He made a gesture of impatience as she again uttered it, and then, stepping forward, he stood within a pace of where she sat, and in fearfully distinct voice he said, Flora Bannerworth, awake, awake, and look upon me, although the sight blast you and drive you to despair. Awake, awake. It was not the sound of the voice which aroused her from the strange slumber. It is said that those who sleep in that eccentric manner are insensible to sounds, but that the lightest touch will arouse them in an instant, and so it was in this case. For Sir Francis Varney, as he spoke, laid upon the hand of Flora two of his cold, corpse-like looking fingers. A shriek burst from her lips, and although the confusion of her memory and conceptions was immense, yet she was awake, and the somnambulistic trance had left her. Help! Help! she cried. Gracious heavens, where am I? Varney spoke not, but he spread out his long, thin arms, in such a manner that he seemed almost to encircle her, while he touched her not, so that escape became a matter of impossibility, and to attempt to do so must have been to have thrown herself into his hideous embrace. She could obtain that but a single view of the face and figure of him who opposed her progress, but slight as the view was, it more than sufficed. The very extremity of fear came across her, and she sat like one paralyzed, 
the only evidence of existence she gave consisting in the words. The vampire, the vampire! Yes, said Varney, the vampire. You know me, Flora Bannonworth. Varney, the vampire. Your midnight guest at that feast of blood. I am the vampire. Look upon me well. Shrink not from my gaze. You will do well not to shun me, but to speak to me in such a shape that I may learn to love you. Flora shook as in convulsion, as she looked as white as any marble statue. This is horrible, she said. Why does not heaven grant me the death I pray for? Hold, said Varney. Dress not in the false colors of the imagination. That which is itself is sufficiently terrific to need none of the allurements of romance. Flora Bunnenworth, you are persecuted. Persecuted by me, the vampire. It's my fate to persecute you, for there are laws to the invisible as well to the visible creation that force even such a being as I am to play my part in the great drama of existence. I am a vampire. The sustenance that supports this frame must be drawn from the life-blood of others. Oh, horror, horror! But most I do affect the young and beautiful. It is from the veins of such as thou art, Flora Bunnenworth, that I would seek the sustenance I am compelled to obtain for my own exhausted energies. But never yet in all my long career, a career extending over centuries of time, never yet have I felt the soft sensation of human pity till I looked on thee, exquisite piece of excellence. Even at the moment when the reviving fluid from the gushing fountain of your veins was warming my heart, I pitied and I loved you. Oh, Flora, even I can now feel the pang of being what I am. There was something in the tone, a touch of sadness in the manner, and a deep sincerity in those words, that in some measure disabused Flora of her fears. She sobbed hysterically, and a gush of tears came to her relief as, in almost inaudible accents, she said, May the great God forgive even you. I have need of such a prayer, exclaimed Varney. Heaven knows I have need of such a prayer. May it ascend on the wings of the night air to the throne of heaven. May it be softly whispered by ministering angels to the ear of divinity. God knows I have need of such a prayer. To hear you speak in such a strain, said Flora, calms the excited fancy and strips even your horrible presence of some of its maddening influence. Hush, said the vampire, you must hear more. You must know more ere you speak of the matters that have of late exercised an influence of terror over you. But how come I here? said Flora. Tell me that. By what more than earthly power have you brought me to this spot? If I am to listen to you, why should it not be at some more likely time and place? I have powers, said Varney, assuming from Flora's words that she would believe such arrogance. I have powers which suffice to bend many purposes to my will, powers incidental to my position, and therefore is it I have brought you here to listen to that which should make you happier than you are. I will attend, said Flora. I do not shudder now. There is an icy coldness through my veins, 
but it is the night air. Speak, I will attend you. I will. Flora Bannerworth, I am one who has witnessed time's mutations on man and on his works, and I have pitied neither. I have seen the fall of empires, and sighed, not that high-reaching ambition was toppled in the dust. I have seen the grave close over the young and the beautiful, those whom I have doomed by my insatiable thirst for human blood to death. Long ere the usual span of life was past, but I never loved till now. Can such being as you, said Flora, be susceptible of such an earthly passion? And wherefore not? Love is either too much of heaven or too much of earth to find a home with thee. No, Flora, no. It may be that the feeling is born of pity. I will save you. I will save you from a continuance of the horrors that are assailing you. Oh, then may heaven have mercy in your hour of need. Amen. And may you even yet know peace and joy above. It is a faint and struggling hope, but if achieved it will be through the interposition of such a spirit as thine, Flora, which has already exercised so benign an influence upon my tortured soul as to produce the wish within my heart to do at least one unselfish action. That wish, said Flora, shall be father to the deed. Heaven has boundless mercy yet. For thy sweet sake I will believe so much, Flora Bannerworth. It is a condition with my hateful race, that if we can find one human heart to love us, we are free. If, in the face of heaven, you will consent to be mine, you will snatch me from a continuance of my frightful doom, and for your pure sake, and on your merits, shall I yet know heavenly happiness. Will you be mine? A cloud swept from off the face of the moon, and a slant ray fell upon the hideous features of the vampire. He looked, as if just rescued from some charnel house, and endowed for a space with vitality to destroy all beauty and harmony in nature, and drive some benighted soul to madness. No, 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 shrieked Flora, never! Enough, said vampire, I am answered. It was a bad proposal. I am a vampire still. Spare me, spare me. Blood. Flora sank upon her knees and uplifted her hands to heaven. Mercy, mercy, she said. Blood, said Varney, and she saw his hideous fang-like teeth. Blood, Flora Bannerworth, the vampire's motto. I have asked you to love me, and you will not. The penalty be yours. No, no, said Flora. Can it be possible that even you, who have already spoken with judgment and precision, can be so unjust? You must feel that, in all respects, I have been a victim, most gratuitously. A sufferer, while there existed no just cause that I should suffer. One who has been tortured, not from personal fault, selfishness, lapse of integrity, or honorable feelings, but because you have found it necessary, for the prolongation of your terrific existence, to attack me as you have done. By what plea of honor, honesty, or justice can I be blamed for not embracing an alternative 
which is beyond all human control. I cannot love you. Then be content to suffer. Flora Bannerworst, will you not, even for a time, to save yourself and to save me, become mine? Horrible proposition! Then am I doomed yet, perhaps, for many a cycle of years, to spread misery and desolation around me. And yet I love you with a feeling which has in it more of gratefulness and unselfishness than ever yet found a home within my breast. I would fain serve you, although you cannot serve me. There may yet be a chance which shall enable you to escape from the persecution of my presence. Oh, glorious chance, said Flora, which way can it come? Tell me how I may embrace it and such grateful feelings as a heart-stricken mourner can offer to him, who has rescued her from her deep affection, shall yet be yours. Hear me, then, Flora Bannerworth, while I state to you some particulars of mysterious existence, of such beings as myself, which never yet have been breathed to mortal ears. Flora looked intently at him, and listened, while, with a serious earnestness of manner, he detailed to her something of the physiology of the singular class of beings which the concurrence of all circumstances tended to make him appear. Flora, he said, it is not that I am so enamoured of an existence to be prolonged only by such frightful means, which induces me to become a terror to you or to others. Believe me, that if my victims, those whom my insatiable thirst for blood make wretched, suffer much, I, the vampire, am not without my moments of unutterable agony. But it is a mysterious law of our nature, that as the period approaches when the exhausted energies of life require a new support from the warm, gushing fountain of another's veins, the strong desire to live grows upon us, until, in a paroxysm of wild insanity, which will recognize no obstacles, human or divine, we seek a victim. A fearful state, said Flora. It is so, and when the dreadful repast is o'er, then again the pulse beats healthfully, and the wasted energies of a strange kind of vitality are restored to us. We become calm again, but with the calmness comes all the horror, all the agony of reflection, and we suffer far more than tongue can tell. You have my pity, said Flora. Even you have my pity. I might well demand it, if such a feeling held a place within your breast. I might well demand your pity, Flora Bannerworth, for never crawled an abject wretch upon the earth's rotundity so pitiable as I. Go on, go on. I will and with such brief conclusions as I may. Having once attacked any human being, we feel a strange but terribly impulsive desire again to seek that person for more blood. But I love you, Flora. The small amount of sensibility that still lingers about my preternatural existence acknowledges in you a pure and better spirit. I would fain save you. Oh, tell me how I may escape the terrible infliction. That can only be done by flight. Leave this place, I implore you. Leave it as quickly as the movement may be made. 
linger not. Cast not one regretful look behind you on your ancient home. I shall remain in this locality for years. Let me lose sight of you. I will not pursue you, but, by force of circumstances, I am myself compelled to linger here. Flight is the only means by which you may avoid a doom as terrific as that which I endure. But tell me, said Flora after a moment's pause, during which she appeared to be endeavouring to gather courage to ask some fearful question. Tell me, if it be true that those who have once endured the terrific attack of a vampire become themselves, after death, one of that dread race? It is by such means, said Varney, that the frightful blood increases, but time and circumstances must aid the development of the new and horrible existence. You, however, are safe. Safe? Oh, say that word again. Yes, safe. Not once or twice will the vampire's attack have sufficient influence on your mortal frame as to induce a susceptibility on your part to become coexistent with such as he. The attack must be often repeated, and the termination of mortal existence must be a consequence essential and direct from those attacks before such a result may be anticipated. Yes, yes, I understand. If you were to continue my victim from year to year, the energies of life would slowly wast away, and, till like some faint taper's gleam, consuming more sustenance than it received, the veriest accident would extinguish your existence, and then, Flora Bannerworth, you might become a vampire. Oh, horrible, most horrible! If by chance, or by design, the least glimpse of the cold moonbeams rested on your apparently lifeless remains, you would rise again and be one of us, a terror to yourself and a desolation to all around. Oh, I will fly from here, said Flora. The hope of escape from so terrific a dreadful a doom shall urge me onward, if flight can save me. Flight from Bannerworth's hall, I will pause not until continents and oceans divide us. It is well. I am able now thus calmly to reason with you. A few short months more, and I shall feel the languor of death creeping over me, and then will come the mad excitement of the brain, which, were you hidden behind triple doors of steel, would tempt me again to seek your chamber, again to seize you in my full embrace, again to draw from your veins the means of prolonged life, again to convulse your very soul with terror. I need no incentives, said Flora with a shudder, in the shape of descriptions of the past to urge me on. You will fly from Bannerworth Hall. Yes, yes, said Flora. It shall be so. Its very chambers now are hideous with the recollections of scenes enacted in them. I will urge my brothers, my mother, all to leave. And in some distant clime we will find security and shelter. There even we will learn to think of you with more of sorrow than of anger, more pity than reproach, more curiosity than loathing. Be it so, said the vampire, and he clasped his hands, as if with a thankfulness that he had done so much towards restoring peace at least to one, who, in consequence of his acts, had felt such exquisite despair 
be it so, and even I will hope that the feelings which have induced so desolated and so isolated a being as myself to endeavor to bring peace to one human heart will plead for me, trumpet tongue to heaven. It will, it will, said Flora. Do you think so? I do, and I will pray that the thought may turn to certainty in such a cause. The vampire appeared to be much affected, and then he added, Flora, you know the spot has been the scene of a catastrophe, fearful to look back upon, in the annals of your family. It has, said Flora. I know to what you allude. It's a matter of common knowledge to all. A sad scene to me, and one I would not court. Nor would I oppress you with it. Your father, here, on this very spot, committed that desperate act which brought him uncalled, for, to the judgment seat of God, I have a strange, wild curiosity upon such subjects. Will you, in return for the good that I have tried to do you, gratify it? I know not what you mean, said Flora. To be more explicit, then, do you remember the day on which your father breathed his last? Too well, too well. Did you see him or converse with him shortly before the desperate act was committed? No, he shut himself up for some time in a solitary chamber. Ha, huh, what chamber? The one in which I slept myself on the night. Yes, yes, the one with the portrait, the speaking portrait, the eyes of which seemed to challenge an intruder as he entered the apartment. The same. For hours shut up there, added Varney musingly, and from thence he wandered to the garden, where, in this summer-house, he breathed his last. It was so. Then, Flora, ere I bid you adieu. These words were scatterly uttered, when there was a quick, hasty footstep, and Henry Bannerworth appeared behind Varney, in the very entrance of the summer-house. Now, he cried, for revenge, now, full being, blot upon the earth's surface, horrible imitation of humanity, if mortal arm can do aught against you, you shall die. A shriek came from the lips of Flora, and flinging herself past Varney, who stepped aside, she clung to her brother, who made an unavailing pass with his sword at the vampire. It was a critical moment, and had the presence of mind of Varney deserted him in the least, unarmed as he was, he must have fallen beneath the weapon of Henry. To spring, however, up the seat which Flora had vacated, and to dash out some of the flimsy and rotten woodwork at the back of the summer-house, was the propulsive power of his whole frame, was the work of a moment, and before Henry could free himself from the clinging embrace of Flora, Varney, the vampire, was gone and there was no greater chance of his capture than on the former occasion, when he was pursued in vain from the hall to the wood, in the intricacies of which he was so entirely lost. End of chapter 34